period by our Shuso Gary Artem reopening our Berkeley Zendo uh, since COVID. Gary Artem has practiced 29, let's say 30 years, it's close enough, huh, Gary? Uh, Berkeley Zen Center. His really nilly intro to Zen Buddhism came through an author referral at a bookstore worker by a, works, by a bookstore worker in 1973. He suggested the name Suzuki. Gary bought a DT Suzuki book, not Shinryu Suzuki. Later, he bought Zen Mind Beginner's Mind. He feels this is enough for an intro to open his talk today. Please welcome our Shuso, Gary Artem, and give him your complete, full attention. Hi, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. Uh, we have almost a full Zendo, which is amazing. It's been so long. Seems so long since we've been um, together, um, and I'm grateful to be here and to uh, represent or to act as your shuso. Um, when I before coming here, I was laying in the office because laying is one way for me to kind of calm myself down, which I'm really nervous. I have to admit, um, and I started to think about. Um, a circle and um, throughout the talk that I put together, um, circles show up. Um, and I thought a good name, I wrote myself a note, so I got this right, that maybe a good name for this talk would be Circling Case 87, because that's the case we're studying. Um, it's Unman's. Um, um, uh, medicine and disease subdue each other. So I'll jump right into that. Um, okay. I'd like to say was while studying this koan, and uh, all the characters involved in it, I found my mind getting lost, especially in the commentary. Not sure if that's the koan working on me or chemo brain. Um, I hope the former. Uh, Ngo and Secho's comments and verse have you looking at the koan in the left, from the left, the right, up, down, all around, and then just obliterating it. It's just complicated. I'm hoping after this talk, you'll read Cleary's translation, which the Saturday director will put in the chat box. It's a full version of the Blue Cliff record. 
and uh, it's in PDF format, so very easy to access from a computer. Um, also, in preparing for this talk, I kept running into my anxiety about being long enough and having enough material to keep people listening. It became a kind of an it, it, it became kind of a topic for another talk. I had to decide what to do about time, so I I took my phone and recorded myself doing the whole talk and it, it seemed like it took an hour but then when I, I I read the time it was 25 minutes <laughs> so ouch <clears throat> I'm gonna go with whatever amount of time it takes and hope I can gather your interest in it and um, questions Sojin Roshi used to say that if you think of something to say, wait. If it comes up two more times, then say it. So I had this idea about coming up, this idea that came up three times. And that's basically, um, which we kind of talked about last night during our, our virtual or our imaginary tea of Bonsan. Um, like, where are you? in terms of the practice period in um, going beyond your comfort zone. So I wanted to just put that out there because it keeps coming up in my mind because I'm kind of pushing myself and um, hopefully everybody else will do similar. Um, so I wanted to say um, something just a little bit about Uman, Unman or Unman in, Unman in Japanese. Um, um, his name is taken from the mountain in which he taught in Japan, or not in Japan, but uh, in China. And he was born in uh, 860, 864 and lived till 948. Unman is known for apparently meaningless, short, sharp, single word answers like Unman's one, called Unman's one word barriers. His one syllable retorts and his extended conversation and stories came to be known as koans. He, he was said to forbid his teaching from being recorded and would chase students out of the meditation hall saying, because your mouth is no good for anything, you come to note down my words. It is certain that someday you will sell me. <laughs> Pretty funny. Finally, uh, during uh, his final lecture, he finished with stating, coming and going is continuous. I must be on my way. It's, it's said that he took the full lotus posture and died. His corpse would be venerated until the 20th century and then would disappear during the chaos of the Cultural Revolution. Another, you know, in, in Cleary's version, uh, his introduction, I found an interesting definition that he puts forth um, called reality reading. You yourself become the case or the koan and in so doing, the Blue Cliff Record of ancient China stands 
revealed as your very life right here in this time and place. So I'll try and do that for us in this talk. Um, so first I'll read the pointer, the case, and then um, a verse of the koan, excuse me. Okay, the pointer. Um, a clear-eyed fellow has no nest. Sometimes on the summit of a solitary peak, weeds grow in profusion. Sometimes he's naked and free in the bustling marketplace. Suddenly he appears as an angry titan with three heads and six arms. Suddenly, as a sun face and moon face Buddha, he releases the light of all-embracing mercy. In a single atom, he manifests all physical forms. To save people according to their type, he mixes with mud and water. If suddenly he releases an, up, uh, an opening upward, not even the Buddha, Buddha's eye could see him. Even if a thousand sages appeared, they too would have to fall back 3,000 miles. Is there anyone with this same attainment and same realization? To test, I cite this to see. Now, this is the case. Unman, teaching his community, said, medicine and disease subdue each other. The whole earth is medicine. What is yourself? The verse it's very short, you know, just like uh, like described in his his bio biography. Um, the whole earth is medicine. Why have ancients and why have ancients and moderns been so mistaken? Don't make the carriage behind closed doors. The road through is naturally quiet and empty. Wrong, wrong. Though they be high in the sky, your nostrils have still been pierced. That's it. Um, Medicine and disease subdue each other. I'm going to focus on that one line this whole talk. So um, hopefully it'll be interesting. Um, subdue is a, the synonym for subdue is conquer, defeat, overcome, overthrow, reduce, vanquish. Um, well, these words mean to get the better of by force or strategy, subdue implies a defeating and suppression. Um, so it seems like they're at war with each other. My first thought when reading this koan was, while the whole earth is medicine, then disease and you are medicine. Duality within oneness or unman's whole earth is medicine. The 
The second thought I had is all disease has a medicine component. Um, Master Unman says, what is yourself? My third thought was, what is yourself? Maybe medicine and disease are a choice in how you respond to life. So I, those all said, I don't expect you to think about them. Um, not now, maybe in a later talk, I'll get back to those ideas. Um, so medicine and disease subdue each other. How does that apply to me or to you? Subdue means to conquer or defeat. So when in August 2020, I started spitting blood in the shower, I was needless to say alarmed. I called the advice nurse and got an appointment with the head and neck doctor. The day of my appointment, I wasn't thinking about this koan. I was worried. The doctor examined my throat and tongue and took a biopsy. Of what turned out to be a large tumor in the back of my tongue. <clears throat> Her name was So Moon, which I found really beautiful. She tried to comfort me saying, it's good you caught this early and that there's a 70% cure rate. I remember walking with Emily, my wife, to a coffee shop in Oakland and feeling in a daze. Emily would, as usual, be positive about the situation and suggest things to cheer me up. It took me a long time to believe this was happening to me. I was resilient all my life. This floored me. Now I was feeling between life and death, health and disease, living and dying. How to proceed was my big question. A friend came to visit me and we sat in the courtyard. He asked, how, how do I stay calm? How do you stay calm in the middle of this? And I said, I have no choice. I need to go through this. Medicine and disease subdue each other. What was the medicine I needed to defeat or to work with this disease? I went into overdrive deciding what to do next. The gold standard for the size tumor was to do a combination of radiation and chemotherapy. There was holistic approaches and aminotherapy. I went to another doctor to get a second opinion and they confirmed the gold standard. <clears throat> it's strange how talking about this is like revisiting places you don't want you want to forget. But dealing with disease in medicine is not easy. Medicine can be poison having the side effects of having the side effects of poison. So what is it, poison, medicine, or both? Maybe both. I went with the gold standard. The prep work to do this is nearly as hard as taking the medicine. You need to get a port for the chemo and a port for feeding for a feeding tube so you can get enough food 
if so, if you can't get enough food through your mouth, you can get your calories through um, a feeding tube. They strongly suggest the ports because of the sunburn you get in your mouth and neck from radiation. They don't want you to lose weight, which would alter your radiation uh, targets. All this very complicated. So maybe I should stop with the details and say more about my mental struggle to take, uh, to take the medicine. Um, yeah, in some ways I feel like I'm, I'm just complaining, but um, I just wanted to express, you know, some of the, what I went through. Um, I had a team of doctors, doctors help me navigate this medicine slash disease. There was medicine offered from hospice doctors. I was going to make it through this, so I didn't really lean on them. I isolated and saved my energy for doing the chemos and radiation. I can't remember what I thought it would be like to finish. I just put my head down and did what I was told. Finishing the treatment left me feeling alone. Or after finishing the treatment left me feeling alone. The attention I got for seven weeks disappeared. I had to wait and see if treatment worked. In January 2021, I got an all clear. I was happy for a day and then sunk low. Somehow through all this, all that treatment, I had not readied myself to continue. Someone said to me, you prepared to die, but not to survive, which is kind of spot on. What next? Medicine is not always the cure. It can cure you of a lump and maybe clear cancer from a lymph node, but does it cure? It can have you looking at the world with clouded glasses, looking over your shoulder. So now with medicine, so now what medicine do you take to counteract the disease from the me medicine you just finished? It can be circular, or maybe it is circular. Be careful not to get stuck in the loop. Medicine and disease subdue each other. Other translations of this koan says, medicine, disease, and disease cure each other, or medicine and disease mutually heal. Nobody wants disease, but we must face it in due course. It shows up when least, least expected in our lives, where we wouldn't identify with it as a disease. Maybe a breakup with a partner or an argument with a friend. We don't look at those situations as a disease, or as Sojin would say, dis-ease a dis-ease, but we look for cures when they happen. So couldn't unmen be talking about those too? 
I had a good, a good fortune of feeling nervous about making mistakes in Zen practice. A kind of perfectionism that is kind of a disease that can penetrate your bones if you stick around and continue practicing with a group. So I have a story about this disease. When I was head server, I would frequently look towards our late abbot, Sojin. He always seemed to be scowling at me. Um, what was it, what was he mad about? And what if I make a mistake? It kept me on my toes and wanting everything to be just so. Anyway, one Saturday I was head server, which means you're the one to make sure that the servers, the meal, um, pots, the bowls get in with and, and get served with great care. I had to go to the bathroom. So after all the pots and bowls and servers were in the zendo and everything was set up, I dashed to the bathroom in the courtyard. I came out of the bathroom and all was quiet. So I opened the zendo door and stepped in and looked up. Suddenly, it seemed like I was in the middle of a circle and everyone around me was staring at me. I felt naked and totally exposed. I let that feeling run through me and thought, this is okay. It's okay if you see me, however, mistakes and all. From that point on, I can't remember Sojin staring or scowling at me. Like he knew what happened. So is it medicine or disease? Medicine and disease may be one and sometimes two. Medicine can be poison if you don't need it or a cure or rebalancing if you do need it. Knowing when to start and when to stop is important. Step by time. I'm running pretty fast. <laughs> so what else can I say about my coping with disease? Anxiety has become an ongoing companion, though I don't usually see it as a friend. I can worry about almost anything and create a state of agitation. Most unpleasant and often makes me want to jump out of my skin. But how do you do that? I don't. I just sit and continue with my intention. I think it developed over COVID and dealing with the cancer, that ongoing question of will it come back? Now it's a habit that's looking for a cure. Maybe the cure is to stop looking. Time, time will tell. I'm going to read something from um, Not Always So. Um, um, I think it was put together by Ed Brown. And um, it, he has a little writing about the Blue Cliff Record and Sun Face, Moon Face Buddha. I 
I think this is when Suzuki Roshi was sick with cancer, and he may have been at Tassajara, but I'm not sure. Um, lately, I have been sick, and because I have been practicing Zazen for many years, some people say he will not catch cold or suffer from the flu. It isn't, but isn't it funny he stays in bed so long? We, we may believe that Zazen will make us physically strong and mentally healthy, but a healthy mind is not just healthy in the usual sense, and a weak body is not just a weak body. Whether it's weak or strong, when that, weak, when that weakness or strength is based on what we call truth or Buddha nature, then that is a healthy mind and a healthy body. My voice may not be very good yet, but today I'm testing it. Whether it works or not, or if I speak or not, is not a big problem. Whatever happens to us is something that should happen. The purpose of our practice is to have that kind of complete composure. In the Blue Cliff record, there is a koan concerning Basso. Basso was big and physically very strong, a man of great stature. Once when Basso was ill, the monk who took care of the temple came to visit him and asked, how are you doing? Are you well or not? And Basso said, sun-faced Buddha, moon-faced Buddha. The sun-faced Buddha is supposed to live for 1,800 years. The moon-faced Buddha lives only one day and one night. When I am sick, I may be a moon-faced Buddha. When I am healthy, I am a sun-faced Buddha. But the sun-faced Buddha and the moon-faced Buddha has no special meaning. Whether I am ill or healthy, I am still practicing Zazen. There is no difference. Even though I am in bed, I am, a, I am Buddha. So don't worry about my health. This is quite simple. Whenever, whatever happens to, to Basso, he can accept things as it is, but we cannot accept everything. We may accept something we think is good, but if we dislike something, we won't accept it. And we compare things. He's a true Zen master. He is not. Or he is a good Zen student, but I am not. This kind of understanding might be quite usual, quite usual, but finally you cannot figure out which idea is reliable. The point is to attain complete composure. Ordinary effort associated with comparative thinking will not help you. To attain enlightenment means to have complete composure in your life without any discrimination. At the same time, that does not mean to stick to an attitude of non-discrimination because that is also a kind of discrimination. Um, I have another reading on sickness that is short, and it, it's from Dogen's um, uh, Shobogenzo uh, 
zoom Moki. If I can get to it. Okay. Dogen instructed, someone said, I am sick. I am not a vessel of, dhar of the Dharma. I cannot endure the practice of the way. Having heard, having heard the es essentials of the Dharma, I wish to live alone, departing from the world, nourishing my body and taking care of my sickness until my life is over. This is a terrible mistake. Sages in the past did not necessarily have golden bones. Ancient practitioners did not all have superior capabilities. Not such a long time has passed since the Buddha's death. Even in the age of the Buddha, not everyone was sharp-witted. Some were good and others were not. Other, uh, among the monks, there were some that did incredibly evil things and others who had very low intellect. None of them, however, demeaned themselves or failed to arouse body mind. None failed to study the way on the grounds of not being a vessel of Dharma. If you do not learn and practice the way now, in which lifetime will you become a person of, cap of capability or a person without sickness? Just do not think of your body and mind. Arouse body, mind, and practice. This is most important in learning the way. He's pretty harsh and pretty direct about um, um, whether you're sick or not, you can be a vessel of practice and Buddha way. Um, I know I'm doing a lot of reading and I apologize some for that. I thought those were good, um, good teachings. Um, and Cricket sent me this poem after my uh, Way Seeking Mind talk that I, I thought was pretty appropriate to close with. Um, I'm pretty early, but um, that would give us a lot of time for questions. Um, the poem is from Wendell Berry, and it's called The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night, at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be. I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his... Someone's phone. I'll just take a pause there, music break. <laughs> I'll, I'll start over. It's called The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear that my life and my children's lives may be, uh, in fear of what my life and my children's life may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives 
with forethought and grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and I am free. That's all I have. Thank you. And I invite questions. I don't know if I have good answers, but we'll try. I'll try. Hosan, if you want to say anything first, or yes, thank you, and thank you for uh, showing up. You've always been showing up, but today you showed up, and um, I don't really have a question because I'm just. I'm just working with what you gave us to work with. So I just uh, appreciate that. Uh, this is a real conundrum in our world. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Lauren? Um, I really like the, I really respond to this idea of the circling. That just seems like a really fresh, Thought. I've never heard, you know, about this going. Oh, I wish you'd say a little more about what you mean and what how that means to you and what it means to you. Just say a little more about the circling. Oh, sure. Um, actually, uh, Hozan talking with Hozan gave me the idea. He said that the first talk, he wanted me to circle koan and not get too deeply into it, which I think I accomplished that and not by some great intelligence. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> and, um, but you know, it's kind of like what Sojin always used to say, there's, uh, there's uh, earth and death, but then there's, there's life. And so there, there's disease and um, medicine and they, they're feeding each other yeah, and, circling and each other. yeah, circling yeah. each other. And so that was kind of a last minute. I didn't have it in the talk and, and I'm just laying on the in Sochi's bed, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of circular too. Um, thought of it. Um, I don't know if that's. Yeah, good. Maybe you'll go, maybe I'll think more and share more about that. Yeah. Okay. Thank sure. you. Jerry, yeah. we have a couple of um, participants in the chat or in the online Zendo. And the first is Ed Herzog. Go ahead, Ed. Hi, Gary. Hi, Ed. It's uh, wonderful to see you in the Shuso seat at last. <laughs> and um, my question is, is um, what does composure look like to you? when facing illness and pain? Um, you might repeat the question, because Ed's question was, what does composure look like for me? Is that right, Ed? Yeah. Yeah, when facing I, 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 Oh, go ahead. 
You're muted, Ed. When when you're a fa when you or one is facing illness and pain, what is um, I mean Suzuki Roshi was talking about composure, and I'm just curious what you to you what is that what does that look like or what does that feel like? Well, you know that's a really really good question, and um, Ross referred me to this book. Um, I forget the name of it. Uh, Ross, do you remember the book that you referred me to uh, this week? It's a Darlene Cohen book. Yeah, Darlene's Cohen Cohen. I can't remember Cohen's the title book. exactly, but it's her, her tome on um, you know kind of pain or persistent pain, and um, you know I used to think that composure was the reason I bring that up is because she brought it to the fore of my thinking um, when I read the first chapter yesterday. Um, that that composure isn't necessarily bliss, that it's um, accept, acceptance of the pain and acceptance of um, um, being anxious, acceptance of depression, acceptance of uh, and and so it it doesn't necessarily feel blissful. So I'm, I'm kind of saying what it's not and not what it is. I guess what it is is kind of what Suzuki Roshi was saying about Basso is that he just accepts what comes up and sometimes without acceptance. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm, I'm also thinking of the poem you read. I'm wondering if that if it's resting in the grace of the world. If that's what composure is. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. Thank you. And we have another question from uh, Peter Overton. Hi, Peter. Hi. Hi. Um, wow. Um, I don't really have a question. I just feel like you have placed so many important questions before us, and, and particularly, I feel before me. And so, I want to say that I'm really happy that you are um, coming forward to lead this practice period at this particular time, both in terms of your life, and our community life, and our, our, and our hopeful uh, return. Uh, That's to close to the mic. Could you come? Could you come closer to your mic, oh, Peter? Okay. Can you hear yeah. me now? Yeah, it's better. Um, just really happy that you're leading this practice period right now. Just it seems, it seems so fitting in terms of the changes going through that you've gone through yourself and as a community we've been going through together. And it seems like the perfect time to make the shift. And I'm just really, really glad that you're doing it. So, so thanks a lot. And thanks for raising all those questions about how to navigate such uncertainty. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Just to reiterate what um, Peter said, he just thinks it's appropriate to um, um, the subject matter for what's happening right now or what, what, what we've gone through. So, yeah. Thank you.
Oh, Jerry, and Hi. then Hannah. Hi. I'm, oh, um, sorry. Uh, something you said. Speak up, Jerry, uh, please. I, I, I have, I have laryngitis. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and you said, uh, I, when you were talking about Suzuki Roshi, they you think about skillful means. That we're looking at skillful means in the Lotus Sutra, and there's something about how we deal with phenomena in a skillful way or in, in a different way, um, and, um, and and you can create um, disease or harm, or you can heal, and that using for example, speaking can be very helpful. Speaking can be horrible. So how do you how do you see the connection between uh, this medicine disease and skillful needs? The question or the question is how do I see the um connection between skillful means and uh, medicine and disease. Um, kind of moment by moment, I think, is the only way I can comes to mind right off the top of my head is that, you know, if I my mood dips, I try and lift up or do something when it, um, to bring it up or bring it up um, when it's up I try and stay um, you know maybe get level with it um, and I look for advice from other sources you know like getting the second opinion on the gold standard for my treatment um, therapy um, Mindfulness practices, guided meditation, things like that help to um, negotiate um, at least my particular illnesses or disease. And hopefully, that's skillful. I'll try and make it try and make it skillful. <laughs> Yes, hi. Leslie, sure. Uh, All right. I too am very happy to see you in that seat. Um, sometime before the pandemic, uh, during the tea we have after the lecture on Saturdays, uh, I was out there and Sojin came over to me and said, how are you doing? And then he immediately said, that's a terrible question. So and we were nodding to each other, you know. Right. So how do you manage that? You must be have had that asked innumerable times during your yeah I hide a lot that's one thing <laughs> Leslie's question was how do I handle people asking how you're doing and I remember Sojin also being very uh, sensitive to that because it's kind of a you know even if you're not sick people say how you doing you know it's kind of like a, a colloquial expression and if you're, you've been really sick, it can uh, hit a nerve. 
Um, I try not to take it too seriously. You know, I, I try to just say, I'm doing okay. There's a, a person at, at where I live who always really in, with inflection says, how are you doing? You know, he, know, he knows what happened, what kind of what, and it really annoys me. Like I'm, <laughs> there's some sort of big change I'm supposed to talk about or, or I'm supposed to, yeah. So yeah, there's, I still get frustrated with it, but I try and just accept that people ask and actually people care. So that's a, a, a nice thing too. There's a positive side to it too, you know. Ross, I, uh, I have something to say, but I think uh, you called Hannah earlier. She... Oh no, Hannah was just pointing. Oh, she okay. was the pointer in <laughs> in <laughs> Leslie's <laughs> case. Yeah. Well, uh, I'd like to uh, echo Peter's uh, comment about the appropriateness of the koan for our times with uh, the pandemic. And uh, for myself and all of us, the appropriateness of you being Shuso now, in contrast to have you had done it a couple of years ago before COVID, the whole thing just comes together for me and it's extremely inspiring. Your talk is really inspiring for me. And uh, you opened your talk with um, uh, Uman admonishing his students who were trying to record his talks to profit from them. Well, here we are a thousand or so years later the talk's been recorded, you wrote it down, and I have to say, I profit from your words and inspiration. So Uman, that's old school. <laughs> thank you, thank you, brother. Thank you, Gary. Somebody didn't pay attention to Uman, though. <laughs> because we have all the stories. Good point. Well, I didn't, I, you know, it's funny because I found this other this other thing that Dogen wrote about um, reading the uh, you know the Blue Cliff Record is is kind of a government type document that was compiled in China, and he was reading it one day, and some student came up to him and said, "Why are you reading?" that you should be practicing there's no and then later later he thought about it and he said this, this student was right he was a very sincere student that came up to him and he thought practice was but you know i didn't want to get uh demoted so i didn't bring that up <laughs> but now i did <laughs> <laughs> You're done. Gary, <laughs> there are several hands in the online zen though. Um, maybe we could take a few and get a few in, in person as well. The first is from Jonathan Antinori. Okay. You can, you can, you can let him know that I'm muted. Uh, Jonathan, you could uh, ask a question. Hi, yeah. Uh, uh, hi, yeah. My name is Jonathan. I uh, would like to share. Um, it's it's not Sozo, it's actually a Rinzai guy, uh, Wang Po, but it, it really, really resonated with me. Um, so I just wanted to read a, a quick quote. Um, uh, actually, he's uh, uh, he's quoting uh, um, Qingming. Um, he says, uh, 
if only you could comprehend the nature of your own mind and put an end to discriminatory thought, there would naturally be no room for even a grain of error to arise. Ching Ming expressed this in a verse. Just spread out a mat for, recri for reclining quite flat when thoughts tied to a bed, like a sick man growing worse, all karma will cease and all fancies disperse. That's what is meant by Bodhi. And he says, as it is, so long as your mind is subject to the slightest movement of thought, you will remain engulfed in the error of taking ignorance and enlightened for separate states. This error will persist regardless of your vast knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. And anyway, yeah, that just really resonated with me. So I, I wanted to share that. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Pretty strict. It is. It's very Rinzai. <laughs> A little bit too strict for the mind, for our uh, Mahayana mind. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, and also it's kind of uh, an illusion to think that you can stop the mind. That's like saying you can stop the heart from beating. <laughs> Different takes, I guess. What was that? Oh, I was saying, yeah, just, I, I, I think it's somehow still the same. It's all still the same, but just different ways of saying it. <laughs> How could it be anything different, really? Okay. Thank you. Yep. And we have another question from Daniel O'Hara. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Gary. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Thanks for doing a great talk. Daniel, Daniel has been with us for through all the COVID practically. And uh, we did a session to start the practice period. And uh, I saw this guy walking around that I couldn't recognize and it was Daniel. <laughs> and uh, I kept looking and I, it's Daniel. And I, I went up to him, I said, hi, Daniel, this is Gary. And uh, it was just so nice to actually, you know, all this time I saw him in the little Hollywood squares, you know, if you remember that show of, of Zoom. I'm sorry, Daniel, go ahead. <laughs> you mentioned acceptance of what is in our life at this moment. Is that active or passive or is it like a just passive uh, kind of acceptance or is there an active component to accepting, accepting? I see. Uh, Daniel asked, is there a, an active or passive part to uh, acceptance? And I think there's both. I mean, there's some things that you have to, like, like I can't deny I have, I had cancer and that it's in remission. Um, but um, there are things that you can do to improve, you know, your, your situation. And that's the active part. And um, 
and to know the difference, right? There's the serenity. I think that ends the serenity prayer. Um, so um, we're pretty open Mahayana people to grabbing truth where we see it. And I think that's pretty good truth. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Thank you. I want to have Susan uh, go next, if that's okay. You, you had your hand up, right, Susan? Yeah, yeah thank you. Um, I kept having this image as you were talking. There's a, a plant that's flowering everywhere now, foxglove, um, also known as digitalis, and it's um, extremely poisonous plant and extremely beautiful plant and used in its medicine for uh, the heart. And, um, you know, I was thinking about everything you described, you've gone through. And I honestly think you would have been a, a strong Shuso three years ago. But something about that medicine that you took that poisonous medicine, and it worked and here you are. You know, and um, I'm really grateful you're here. And you just emote great beauty, uh, you know, as the shoe so, and in your life as you've gone through this, um, you just, there's something quite beautiful that's emerged. And I, I know it's been a, at great expense. And with, the losses you've described, but um, there you are. And um, thank you for saying yes. My, my wife says that she likes me more. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I've become like a, a ripe peach or something, you know, where, you know, before I was kind of like a hard peach and now suddenly I'm I've softened up, but you know, it's funny that I don't always, you know, there's all this like anger that I don't know what that's about, you know, hard to address. Because um, I, you know, there's this, there's this thing where you, you know, you hold the image of yourself. It's, it's, there's a great poem about this, but you, you keep, you cling to the, your old image as you go forward into these this new person that you are, and that kind of is a big struggle for me. Like I I I want to jump back into where I was, and that's gone. I can't jump back in. I have to move forward. Yeah. Maybe in some mysterious way, um, you know the. The fruits of Zazen, your long, long practice, have brought something forth that's quite beautiful. I mean, you know, when our daughter's friend had cancer, she was very young and she wanted to learn to meditate, but uh, she didn't have the, the, the chance to develop a practice over a long period of time. And, um, you know, the disease took her life. But in your case, 
Um, I just continue to be struck by that, the longevity of your practice and how it's carried you through this really difficult time. Thanks, Gary. Thank you. It's, I think it's time. Uh, so thanks everybody for showing up and uh, maybe I'll put more in the circle in the next two, one or two talks I think I have to do. Um, okay. Beings are numberless. Amen. Yeah.